0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, we're doing things a little different today. Um, oh, yeah. Um, That's later. Yep. Don't do this all the time, so the order of operations is a little lost on me sometimes, so bear with me. Um, But normally we would have someone from the band do the lament, um, but um, the spirit is good, and he has separately guided Josh and I to basically say the same things. So I'm going to still do it twice, um, but I'm also going to do the lament, and then we'll get into the sermon. Um, So today's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day everyone that's here. But for all the praise and thankfulness that we have on Mother's Day, for many of us today, um, is a reminder of loss and a feeling of shame. Um, A day that brings heartache, and for a long time the church has done a bad job of entering into the muck and the mire of those realities. Um, But the beauty of the gospel is that Scripture doesn't shy away from the harsh realities and the effects of sin, and as a church, neither should we. Um, For those who have lost a mother to cancer, um, or the shame, felt the shame of infertility, the pain of a miscarriage or a child who feels betrayed by their mother. These realities remind us that sin still has its effects in this world. Um, days like this can bring pain, shame, and tears for a lot of women. Um, and as a church, just like we rejoice for the good mothers that God has blessed us with, we also want to lament with those who are hurting today. Paul tells us this in Romans twelve fifteen when he says, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who mourn. So let us rejoice for all the good mothers we have, um, and let us mourn with those who are hurting today. Um, So follow along as we read the prayer, and then go ahead and read the underlined portions. O Lord, stir up our hunger and thirst after heaven above. Here we can have the world, there we shall have you in Christ. Here is a life of longing and prayer. There is assurance without suspicion, asking without refusal. Here are gross comforts, more burden than benefit. There is joy without sorrow, comfort without suffering, love without unfaithfulness, rest without weariness. Help us to know that heaven is all peace, where error, pride, rebellion, passion raise no head. Help us to know that heaven is all joy, the end of believing, fasting, praying, mourning, humbling, and watching. Oh, second page. <laughs> this is soon. Let us take some time to rejoice and mourn this morning. Um, God, you are good, um, and you give us good gifts, but you also recognize that there is pain in this world because of sin. Um, we have joy for those good gifts you've given, and we also have joy in the pain because we know that it is temporary, um, but that one day you will come and you will restore all things and make all things new. And all of that pain and anguish and suffering um, and loss will be gone. Uh, We just thank you for that gift, um, and we thank you for that reminder in your word. Um, And we thank you for our mothers today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, So, today is Mother's Day, and now you get to hear my version. Uh, But first, uh, let's send the kids, um, not going to forget that one, the uh, threes and fives, uh, you guys can go ahead and head out to your classes, um, and then we'll get started. Um, We've also switched, we used to do announcements at the end of the service, but we do them here at this point, so um, just a reminder for everyone, we have our Night of Ebenezer on May 26th at 6 p.m., it's a worship night where we come together to just remember God's faithfulness and to worship him together, Um, and that will be here on that Friday. Um, Then there is a women's walk that is happening on Mondays. That is about all of the information that I know on that. But if you want more information, check with Miranda. Um, So she'll help you get plugged in with that. And then on June 2nd, we're starting a women's discipleship. Uh, There'll be an eight-week study through Titus 2, and you can sign up for that through the Church Center app that we have. Um, So yeah. All right. Um, Morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Um, I hope you all have opportunities today to celebrate your moms and remember um, your own mothers and grandmothers, um, but also for the moms in this room, um, that you'd be reminded today of the blessing uh, that your children are to you, um, and how that can be a, an Ebenezer of sorts, even like we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, of how God has sustained you in your work to love and minister to your kids. Um, so I just pray that that will be a reminder for you guys as well. Um and i know there are people here struggling um with a lot of different things with related to mother's day um, and it can be very difficult um and we read romans twelve fifteen in the lament but i want to read the parts that come before it as well because i think that is helpful as well um so if you start in 12 romans 12 verse 9 uh, paul says let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. This is a challenging space for us to live in as believers, celebrating when you yourself are mourning and mourning when you are also celebrating for the sake of your brother. Um, before we get into the passage and the um, message today, I did want to acknowledge these things um, and just for some context with myself. Um, long before, I, well, not long, but before I was born, uh, my parents had a full-term stillbirth. Um, and while I wasn't around for that, um, my sister's death is still something that's mourned in our family. Um, and it's a tough space to live with the morning and the celebrating, um, but God has glorified when we do that well. Um, yeah. So I feel that for those of you who are mourning today, um, even though it's not my kid, but it's something my mom goes through. So, um, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to reset a little bit because that was tough. Um, So with that being said, um, we're going to move into our message for the day. Um, So you guys go ahead and turn to Luke 9, 1 through 10. It's going to be a bit before I actually get to reading it, but just so you have it ready. Um, And I think it's prudent to give a recap of the past probably three sermons. Um, So I'm going to try and not make this too long, but all of those sermons culminate with this week and then the next two weeks. Scripture shouldn't read it in isolation. It all fits together very well. Um, So a few weeks ago, Dwayne preached on Jesus calming the storm, uh, which is a very familiar story for many of us. And in that story, Jesus was sleeping, and a storm came that was big enough that the disciples thought the boat would sink. Um, But Jesus rebukes their lack of faith and also calms the storm. Um, If at that time they truly understood who Jesus was and what he came to do, they would have known that storm meant nothing because he had to live to fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies. But the disciples didn't fully understand who he was yet. Um, but instead of of that, they get to see a display of God's sovereignty over nature. Um, the next week, uh, we see Jesus's exorcism of the Gerasene demoniac, um, which is a fancy way of saying a guy that was had a demon. Um, he was a Gerasene. Um, when it says the disciples traveled to the Gerasenes, but it wasn't necessarily a place in the in Israel, but rather a people group of um, like of. Greek and Hellenistic peoples that were living in Israel, um, which, I want to have a sidebar about that, and this is a long sidebar, so lots of apologies for that, but I think it's important, but um, how many people thought that in Jesus's day, Israel consisted of Israelites and Roman soldiers, and that was it? Until about a year ago, that was where I landed. I never thought anything of it. Um... But there were many other Greeks um, and Gentiles living in Israel at the time. Um, I think a lot of that for me comes from watching Veggie Tales, and the, there's some old cartoon series that had a bunch of like, white Jews that all spoke English all talking to the Romans, and that was the entire context, and so like, very bad theology from that perspective, but it's been ingrained in my mind until relatively recently. Um, so there are many Greeks and Gentiles living in Israel and geographically, Israel occupies a really thin strip of land that um, the very coastal and middle parts of Israel are, are effective for traveling over land, and, the, and west, east of that, east of that I'll do for you guys, is all mountainous and difficult to travel through. So there's this narrow strip that they could trade through and live in and move through from the northern parts of the Roman Empire through to the northern African parts of the empire. Um, And a lot of the conflict that Israel experienced in the Old Testament and the period of time between the Old and New Testaments likely stems from the value of that geographical space. Um, With the large number of Gentiles living in Israel and with the Roman occupation, many Jews would have likely spoken Greek in addition to Aramaic and may have used what we know today as the Septuagint, um, which is the Greek Old Testament. Um, Fascinating thing about that that I also learned in the last year or so. Um, the Greek Old Testament was not translated for the apostles. I always thought it came about after Jesus, but it was actually translated two to 300 years before Christ. Um, it was, trans- it was uh, let's see, yeah, it was, it was requested from a Greek-descended pharaoh to add to his library as he was looking for knowledge. So it wasn't an Egyptian pharaoh, it was a Greek that was ruling as pharaoh over Egypt pre-Roman Empire. Um, at this point, you guys are probably thinking, what what's going on? This is absurd. Um, personally, I think all of the historical context and everything um, is, is really an amazing display of God's sovereignty. Not only does the Septuagint provide an additional source manuscript for us to have confidence in the authority of Scripture and the accuracy of Scripture, but by the time Jesus came to bring the new covenant, there was already a copy of the Old Testament ready for the disciples to use to take to the Gentiles. Um, and I mentioned the, that uh, the guy was a Greek-descended pharaoh. If you want to look it up, his name was, I'm going to butcher this, but it was Ptolemy II Philadelphus was his name, if you're curious. Uh, but he was ruler over Egypt because of the rupture in power after Alexander the Great's death. Um, his massive empire helped set the stage for the context in Israel during uh, Jesus's day. Um, but Alexander spread Greek culture and language throughout the empire, uh, which established a common language um, or the term lingua franca, if you're familiar with that, um, that really helped spread the gospel early on. Having a, a business language that was used throughout the world gave a base language that the gospel could spread very rapidly. Um, at one point in time, Greek was the official language for Libya, Egypt, Arabia, Judea, Syria, Persia, Greece, and Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. So it had a very widespread. Um, so Like I said, long sidetrack. Sorry for the length, but I think it's relevant later on. Um, But um, all that started because we're talking about the Greek man with the demons that Jesus cast into the pigs. Um, So we saw um, Jesus display his sovereignty over nature, and in this story, Jesus shows his disciples his authority over demons, but also his care for the well-being of that man. Um, And then... The next week after that, last week Josh preached about Jesus healing the man or the woman who had been bleeding, and then Jairus' daughter, um, raising her from the dead, which shows his authority and power over sickness and death. Um, so all of that brings us to today's passage. So if you want to go to Luke nine one through ten, you got to keep drinking the water. Um, we'll start. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all of that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Uh, let's pray. Uh, God, you're good. Um, we just thank you for your word um, and just the uh, the beauty that we have access to, to see in your scriptures. We just pray that you would speak um, through the sermon this morning and through through the Bible just to soften our hearts to what you want us to hear um, and just ask that you would be glorified and that we would be um, stirred up uh, to make you famous and to glorify your name. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um so here is what I hope to convey to you guys. I don't know if we have the points or not, but I have 6 points. Uh so they're not all crazy long, but um the first four are grouped together um with the sending of the 12. The fifth point is about the passage section with Herod, and then the sixth is overarching everything. Um but the first one is Jesus calls us to meet needs and preach the gospel. Jesus cares for our human needs. Jesus provides what we need to do what he calls us to do. There is urgency in sharing the gospel. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and the Bible is truly beautiful. Um, so th- that's what I'm hoping to convey to you guys today. Um, yeah, so we'll get into it. Um, none of that should be a surprise, so hopefully it's just a reminder for everyone. So. Um, recapping the past few weeks um, already, but uh, in those stories, Luke is showing us how Jesus was preparing his disciples. Um, we see him give them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Leading up to that moment, they got to see Jesus display exactly how that looked, to display that power and authority. Um, and those weren't the only times they had seen him exercise his power, but I believe Luke sets them up in this order in his story so that we can see specifically how Jesus was preparing them. Um, A takeaway from that could be that we we should prepare um, before we go out to do ministry, and we should, but as we see later on in the passage, the disciples weren't even close to being fully prepared, Um, and yet Jesus still sends them out. So um, prepare yourself, study your Bible, read books, listen to sermons, have coffee with people, um, anything you think that will help you grow in your understanding of the gospel, but don't let that keep you from sharing the gospel. You will never fully arrive with your understanding of theology. It's it's one of the beauties of this life that we live is that we will continually be learning more and more and growing closer to Him, um, but we'll never get there. So if you wait till you get there to share the gospel, you will never share the gospel with anyone. So don't let that don't let that be your your roadblock. Um, and if you aren't sharing the good news because you don't feel prepared enough, then you should be praying for the courage to overcome that and maybe the humility to say, you know. I don't know, can I get back to you later? It's okay to not have the answers. I think being honest with people that you're sharing the gospel with goes a long way with that. Um, So, um, yeah, it's okay to not have the answers, but it is not okay to fail to share the gospel. Um, That's what we are called to do. Um, But Jesus didn't send them just to proclaim the gospel. He sent them out to, to meet needs. He sent them out to heal and to cast out demons, which are very real needs that the people had. Um, some commentaries i read suggested that the meeting of needs so that the the disciples could garner affection from the people they're preaching to and hopefully win some with their message and while i think that's a probable benefit i don't believe that's the reason Um, jesus genuinely cares for the well-being of people Um, he knew who would receive the gospel from his disciples and who wouldn't and so it didn't matter that they had the right affection from those people as we see Many times throughout scripture, Jesus had compassion, and so he changed what he was doing for the sake of people that he felt compassion for. Um, with the, the, the Garrison man with the demons, he was compassionate because he was hurting himself. He was physically in danger. He saved that man from those things and also to new life in him. Um, so, um, And the message that the disciples were bringing wasn't, wasn't just about salvation after you die, but it was of salvation now and real change now. Um, and that's the same message that we have for us. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit who works in our lives to sanctify us and shape us to be more like Christ over the course of our lives. Um, the freedom that we have in Christ, knowing that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that we need to be saved from, um, and that the Holy Spirit guides us and sustains us, such an amazing gift. As if that were not enough, Jesus provides for our physical needs and sets the precedent for us to provide for each other. Um, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, um, he outlines this. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, preaching of the gospel aspect. Um, And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. That love your neighbor as yourself isn't just about being in relationship with people and being kind to them, but loving one another's, caring for each other's needs, meeting them where they're at, providing for them, and then them providing for you as well. Um, he also gives the disciples instruction for her, how to carry out this task. He says, said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Of this entire passage, this one was the most difficult for me to prepare. Um, there was a lot of different opinions that I read about how people interpret this and what it could mean, and um, I think I've got a pretty good grasp on it at this point. But it was a lot of work to get to there. Um, and so, um, but the, the different thoughts. Um, one one reason is why why he restricted what they could take with them was so that. He could rely on them. And this is, I think, the most correct. Um, We see that clearly in Luke 22, Um, right before he and the disciples, minus Judas, head out to Gethsemane. uh, Luke 22, 35 through 38, read, And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you this, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. So even though in this story, in Luke 9, the disciples went out with nothing, um, they had everything that they needed. But after the crucifixion, Jesus clearly gives them a different instruction. Um, he has them take what they needed with him. So he will. we know that Jesus will provide what is needed. We see that cl- clearly with him asking them, did you lack anything? They said no, even though he had them take nothing. So we see that he he provided for them and sustained them through that. But then later on, he also said that they should take what they need with them. Um, so I think I think the takeaway from this is that regardless of our circumstances, whether we are prepared for a situation or not, God will provide what you need to do to share the gospel. Um, he will give you everything you need so that you can make his name famous. Um Another uh, theory that was read uh, was that there were certain rabbinical rules for people to enter the synagogue, specifically regarding clothing. Um, and there was the idea that Jesus didn't want them to be hindered by rules that might keep them from accessing somewhere that they could preach the gospel. Um, so they weren't to take those things with them. Um, the Jews had a very, very reverent attitude towards the synagogue that persists even to today. Um, when I was looking that up, I found that there are, like, rules on etiquette for how to carry yourself in the synagogue now Um, and this one was the most shocking to me but you are not allowed to kiss your children in the synagogue because it shows affection for someone other than god Um, with the exception that if they're crying and disrupting you can kiss them to silence them very strange to me um but yeah so the the synagogue has a very high place in the mind of the jews um they they wanted there to be no implication that you were there for any other reason besides to worship and participate in temple activities. Taking a money bag or a staff or extra tunic could have been associated with uh, downtrodden and homeless people or even merchants begging or trying to sell their goods. Um, And I think a more realistic reason for those restrictions was the urgency of the need to spread the gospel, that they wouldn't be weighed down or bothered by going and preparing things, but he wanted them to go then and there to spread the gospel. So don't take anything, I'm going to provide everything for you. Just go do it quickly because this needs to get done. Um, in sending that, Jesus also knows who who is going to be receiving the gospel and who won't receive it. So He prepares the disciples further by giving them instructions for how to handle that. Um, uh, shaking the dust off uh, was a Jewish practice uh, that was done after often after traveling through Gentile cities. Um, David Guzik puts it this way. If Jews had to go in or through a Gentile city, as they left, they would shake the dust off their feet as a gesture saying, we don't want anything from this Gentile city with us. Essentially, Jesus is telling them to regard a Jewish city that rejects their message as if it were a Gentile city. That is a massive insult to Jews. They are very proud people. And if you were regarding them as being a Gentile, a non-Jew, that would be a a deep insult, but that's essentially what Jesus is telling them to do. It's like, if you're not receiving this gospel, if you're not receiving the message of the Messiah, I don't want anything to do with you and move on to a new town. Um, I thought this was also interesting when compared with um, the narratives that we've heard over the past few weeks. Um, The Jews as a people were not ready to hear the gospel yet. Almost every time Jesus performs a miracle, He tells the Gentiles to go and proclaim, and he tells the Jews to tell no one. Um, It's not always the case, but it's often the case. Um, In Luke 8.56, we see Jesus told uh, Jairus, the synagogue leader, that he charged them to tell no one what had happened. But earlier, in 8.39, he told the garrison man, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And we see with the Samaritan woman at the well, she was not fully Jew, but they were considered half Jews and they had a different perspective on how worship was done, but they viewed the Messiah as being one that would come and save them from themselves more than the Jews who viewed the Messiah as one that would come and save them from Rome. They had different perspectives. And so when you read the story with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus gives her the message about living water and how he is that living water. Uh, But he doesn't do that for any of the Jews that he runs into because that people was more ready and more softened to the gospel. Um, And I've completely lost my place. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the Holy Spirit had not yet softened the hearts of many Jews, and they could not receive the gospel yet. Um, The events of the cross had to happen the way that they did, so God hardened their hearts. So that we see in Luke 9, 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Um, There are some who interpret the phrase and wherever they do not receive you, um, the part leading up to them shaking off the dust, um, to simply regard hospitality. Um, But the Greek word for receive here means both to receive or grant access to a visitor um, as well as to receive the thing offered in speaking, teaching, or instructing. And those are both under, if you're really into dictionaries, they were under the same sub-definition. So it wasn't like one of those was ranked higher than the other, but the act of res- physically receiving something, both of these are outlined at the same the same level there. Um, and so if we look at the parallel passage in Matthew, though, we see it more explicitly stated. Um, it's uh, Matthew 10, 14. says, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. So Matthew extends it. To not being just receiving someone into the house but also the people in the town receiving the message so it's it's both if people are inhospitable towards you or if they um, if inhospitable towards the disciples specifically or if they don't receive the message they were to shake the dust off Um, and I think the the thing for us there is like we are called to go and spread the gospel but we are not the ones that do the work to save people's hearts God is the one that does that work we are just gifted with the privilege of being part of that. Um, and so if, if you are pining after someone to hear the gospel and to be saved and they are just not receiving it, pray for them, be diligent in your ministry to them, but don't take it on yourself as you've done a bad job and you've not done what, you're going, what you should do. You're planting seeds and God might not ever let you see that fruit grow, but he might. We just have to trust to him and leave it at that But it's not something that you should take on yourself as oh i'm such a horrible evangelist because this person is not getting saved and i've been preaching to them for years Um, maybe it's not yours to do we're just called to go and to spread the gospel um so at this point we're um, getting to the end of the part about jesus sending the 12. um so the first six verses today um so just to kind of recap the i don't think we have on the slides but the, uh, the first four points that I gave um, were in that section with Jesus calls us to meet needs and preach the gospel, going and healing and uh, casting out demons. For us, that might look like providing people with food, helping them with their kids, taking them to doctor's appointments, whatever their needs are. There's a wide array of what needs we can meet, but also taking the gospel with that. Um, and Jesus cares for our human needs. Um, he provides what we need to do what he calls us to do. Uh, And there's an urgency in doing all of this and in sharing the gospel. Um, So now, uh, verse 7, we start looking at who Jesus is. Um, It says, now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. There are two things um, <coughs> that I would never realized before preparing for this. Um, but uh, here it says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? It's um, so like he's, he's considering that John the Baptist has risen from the dead. Um, each possible explanation. Uh, maybe it's Elijah. Maybe it's John the Baptist. Maybe it's some other prophet like Moses or someone. Um, each one of those required Herod to believe in a supernatural event that one of those men had been raised from the dead. Because a few chapters ago, he's beheading John the Baptist himself, so he knows he's dead. But he's in this question. He's questioning. Sorry, in this passage, he's questioning. Could this be John the Baptist? Um, the other aspect is that each of those possible explanations is specifically some religious leader that had that would have been raised up. But Herod wasn't a religious leader. Um, he was a tetrarch, which meant he ruled over a quarter of the area. Um, and so he was, for a, an analogy, he's like mayor of a city. And then Pontius Pilate was the governor over everything. So Herod was a tetrarch of one quarter. There were other three other tetrarchs that would have ruled, and all of them were under Pontius Pilate. Um, so that meant he had a considerable amount of authority, and he would have had the power to summon Jesus to meet him for whatever his intentions were, but the text just says, and he sought to see him. So he was unsuccessful. Um, this could have been out of a curiosity from the stories he was hearing, or perhaps out of, perhaps out of a rivalry, mm, rivalry with someone that was garnering attention and fame in his territory, um, or maybe even out of fear of getting rebuked again if it really was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Um, one way or another, Herod is curious, but ultimately he doesn't know who Jesus is um and josh will likely cover this in a few weeks so i don't want to do too much here but um, further further on in the passage jesus asked the disciples the same question that Herod is asking Um, who do you say that i am to which peter replies the christ of god Herod had all the information he could have wanted about jesus and even believed there was something supernatural about him but he didn't know him knowledge was not enough Um, he saw all the miracles and the fame and attention jesus had but couldn't see him for who he really was And Luke sets up a sort of parallelism here where he shows Herod's questions about Jesus, lacking answers. Then he repeats that same question with the same assumptions from the crowds, but then answers both of those with Peter's correct answer of the Christ of God. Um, And this is is why I wanted to highlight the beauty of Scripture um, today um, from this passage, Um, why it's important to read all of the Bible and to read Scripture in its context. If you were to just read Luke 9 by itself— you would miss seeing Jesus preparing his disciples for the ministry that happens. Without an understanding of Hebrew literature, you might miss the parallels between Herod and the crowd's questions, because that's a very common rhythm in Hebrew poetry um, through the Psalms and Proverbs um, and their prayers. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so you might miss that those parallels. Um, but we are also blessed to have unfettered access to the whole of scripture. Um, We can see Jesus' life through four distinct perspectives in the Gospels that complement each other but speak to different audiences. We can see God's sovereignty in setting up the historical events to pave the way perfectly for Christ to come and die in our place for our salvation. The preparation of a Greek Old Testament that could then be readily used by the apostles after they were called to preach Christ to the Gentiles, even down to the efficiency of the Roman road networks. The political system and oppression of the Jews that led them to believe the Messiah would come and save them from Roman oppression. And how that paints the perfect picture of Jesus coming to save us from the oppression that we get from our sin. And that's what he, the, the actual oppression that he came to save us from. Um, all of these things were set up perfectly for this message to come to the world and to come to us. And so what do we do with all of this? We've seen that Jesus calls us to preach the gospel, to meet needs. And that he will, be, he will enable us to do this work and that he cares deeply about both. We've seen that he is the Christ, and that the Bible is beautifully woven together to tell us all of this. And so what do we do? I think very simply, all of this points us to the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight. Um it says now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and this is this is after Jesus has died, risen from the dead, and is appearing to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. Um it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw they when they saw, and When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Even after everything they had already seen, some still doubted. Um, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have confidence that Jesus is with us. We need to take the gospel to our neighbors our families co-workers whomever we interact with everyone needs to hear the gospel even believers need to be reminded um, we may fear that we'll say the wrong thing or lose relationships but ultimately anything we could come up with is inconsequential in the end um it might hurt now but ultimately in the end it does not matter god is sovereign over everything um, and i believe that god is so powerful and sovereign that he can't, we cannot harm his will he's going to save who he's going to save we cannot harm that, um, but we are blessed with the privilege of being part of that process. Uh, we get to see people be saved. We get to rejoice with that. We get to witness God's glory and be um, active agents in that, um, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, there may be times where we need to shake the dust off and keep going and taking the gospel to other people that are, are more receptive to it, but regardless, we need to go and proclaim him, and we need to meet people's needs as we are going about. Um Jesus came to live the perfect life that we are called to live, but we have woefully failed at it. He died in our place, taking our shame and guilt on the cross as our substitution so that his righteousness can be imputed to us and we can be free from the weight of our sin and welcomed into his presence in heaven when we die. If this is news to you or if you have questions about what that means, um, please reach out to Josh or myself. I know we would, we would love to talk to you about that today. Um, but, um, all that. All that being said, we're going to come to communion now and just remember the gospel that God has given us and the 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 joy of the knowledge of the salvation that Christ brings with His substitutionary death on the cross for us. Um, and if you guys want to go ahead and come down and get the elements, I'll keep talking. Um, but um, communion is something that we we do as believers. So if you guys are not believers, I do want to ask that you refrain from participating. Um, but um, this is an act that we do to symbolize remembering Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, the wine and the bread, his blood and his body that were broken and spilt for us on our behalf in our place. So um, just take, take a few minutes um, and um, I want you guys just to sit and, and to think about what was said today, um, what that means for you, and what change you might need to take with you out into the week, but also just celebrate. Remember the goodness of God and his mercy and his grace and his free gifts to us, Um, and that sacrifice on the cross that, that we are so thankful for. First Corinthians eleven, um, you see a, a pretty good explanation of this. Um, Before what I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." So go ahead and eat the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So go ahead and drink. God, you are good. We are so thankful for your rich mercy and grace that you give us Um, we thank you that you sustain us and you provide everything that we need to do what you've called us to do Um, that you then send us out so that we get to be a part of your harvest Um, that you have readied the fields with people that are are ripe ready to hear the gospel Um, and that we are sent out to uh, to be a part of that we just thank you for that um, thank you for that reminder today, and just pray that you would um, stir our hearts and motivate us to go and proclaim your name, to make you famous, um, and to to reach out to our neighbors and friends and coworkers. Um, we love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.